Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Welcome back to Dear Writer, everyone. Today, we have another author spotlight episode, and we are recording episode number 58. We have with us today, K.S. Gray. So welcome. Hi. Hi, thank you, Ashley, Shara, thank you. I'm very excited to be here with you this afternoon or morning, depending on where you are. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. One of the difficulties when we record across multiple time zones. But we're very excited to have you on. So K.S. Gray, he has always loved writing and is a first-time published U.S. author. His debut novel, Color Blinded, came out in July 2021, and the second edition of that book came out in October, which is pretty cool. He also loves music, especially smooth jazz, which he always listens to while he writes, which sounds, I need to try that out, I think, listening to smooth jazz while I write. I, I started listening to... um. Listen to some Ella Fitzgerald the other day while I was cooking dinner because my mum used to really like her. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot how much I liked this music. So, <laughs> yeah, Ella, <clears throat> Ella Fitzgerald is great. And uh, smooth jazz particularly works well for me because it's primarily I listen to instrumental. Mm, okay, yeah, so. that's what I was going to comment on. So much easier to write when you don't have like lyrics going in, into your head as well, I find. I don't think Ashley yeah. has as much of an issue with that but I can't write when I've got music with lyrics. It's too hard. <laughs> you get too distracted from it. Yeah, exactly. I, I just tend to block it out generally. So I'm like, oh, I've been writing for an hour. Ah, oh, my playlist was over 20 minutes ago and I didn't notice. That's funny. So to start with these interviews, we usually like to begin by asking you how you first got started writing. Right. So in the type of work I do, I'm actually a lawyer. Let me get that out up front. And if that's the end of our interview, I'll, I'll understand. <laughs> and so... We'll forgive you for it. Thank, thank you. Thank you, please. So I do a lot of... It's more, you know, technical. It's not technical in the medical sense, but it's sort of, you know, more technical C-spot, C-spot run. Here are the facts. Here are the law and analysis that way. And so to do something more creative... Um, than that, I decided I would like to try, you know, writing fiction and use that that side of the brain. And so I started doing that about uh, 20 years ago, actually. And then with kids and work responsibilities, I had to put it down and put it to the side for a while until last year when I picked it back up. Can definitely understand. Yeah, me too. I was going to say that as well. Totally. Get you know, you, using the creative side of your brain versus the analytical. And um, I mean, Ashley's works in university as a researcher and I'm in nursing so our jobs are kind of like more medical and science based and using the analytical part of the brain is kind of you know it does it is very different kind of way of thinking so completely understand that and so but it's kind of linked as well because I write a lot of grants and papers and things like that in my job at the university and yeah the creative well the fiction writing like it draws on some of the things that you use but you just get to be a little bit more free <laughs> with the writing right. style which can be you know refreshing right. and and so you know I don't mean it as 
the the technical, whether it's writing a brief or writing a grant, that there's not creativity involved in that. And it's certainly complicated, but still it's supposed to be a narrowing, you know, this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is why it's important. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, maybe some of the best fiction I ever wrote was in a brief I filed. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is an opportunity to take, you know, things that were going on and fictionalize them and then sort of expand them out into a story that I wanted to tell. Yeah, so I'm just imagining someone going back over your notes like 10 years later, like, wow, look at this great fiction story buried in um, his files. <laughs> so good. I've burned all those. So. <laughs> I can imagine it would be similar, like for, for me writing nursing notes, you know, you, you tell very much the objective of this happened, that happened without like judgment kind of thrown in there. So it becomes very like bold facts versus using creativity. I mean, I, I was like trying to think of like creativity, like shortening like specific terms, maybe <laughs> like, oh, she, she worded that in a very creative way. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Went back over like a grant application you're working on now and count the adjectives. Oh, you know, it's like, oh. there might be like one. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was just trying to think because I occasionally like would like throw in a little bit of like fancy language, you know, make it exciting, put a bit of a metaphor in there. And the professor I work with is always like, just like doesn't say anything and just like crosses it out. And I'm like, mm, this is where we are. <laughs> So what made you actually decide then to go from writing your, you know, writing fiction kind of as, I guess, a hobby or a thing on the side to being like, hey, actually, no, I'm going to publish, I'm going to publish this book, Colorblinded. And what made you kind of go get to that point? So we all have been, you know, living through COVID and last year, there was pretty much nothing on the news except COVID, race relations. And then the interesting, I'll use that word, interesting political climate we were living through here in the U.S. And it was 24-7. And I just had to get away. I needed a break. I totally get that. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I stopped watching the news and I started writing. And so what did I write about? I wrote about the exact things that I was trying to get away from. <laughs> I was going to make a comment <laughs> on that. I was like, I save that one for a later. But Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was trying to get away from the exact things that followed me into my uh, keyboard. Um, But I decided I wanted to tell a story about them and sort of control the outcome of events because we all lost control over so much of our lives 18, 19 months ago. And so this gave me a way to escape from what the uh, cable television was screaming at me and what my Facebook feed was delivering to me and tell a story. And so yeah. that's how I got started writing colorblind. Yeah. I guess I also probably gave you quite, because now you control the ending in your book of how COVID and everything plays out, right? So it's kind of like this weird alternative reality of COVID where you got to take control of what happens, which is kind of cool. I think you hit really like big topics with COVID and racism in the book. And I think like I haven't read it all quite yet but I started reading some of it and I kind of can see from the blurb that that's maybe where it's headed and I think you know like it's kind of interesting to take both of those big topics and combine them and then come up with an outcome of both situations that's 
you know, I think that was quite interesting and creative. So, And so part of what I tried to do was make them intersect, right? And make them intersect in a way that would tell a story and also ask, um, ask some questions and, you know, ask some moral questions for the reader. I won't spoiler alert it, but, you know, it, I think it asks the reader or makes the reader to start, start making some moral assessments for themselves as I imagined this vaccine that would have the effect of making people colorblind. And so it's this, there was very much um, in 2020, this race to create a vaccine. I mean, the pandemic, you know, was very real, regardless of how people spun it or reacted to it. It was very real and it was devastating. And so there was actually a race to create this vaccine. Um, while at the same time, there was so much discussion going on. I mean, not just last year, you know, many years mm-hmm. about, you know, race relations and how people get along or don't get along. And so I started to imagine this, well, how do I make the two come together? And that's how I, how I create this vaccine that has the effect of, of rendering people colorblind and this whole discussion about, you know, should we take it? Would we take it? Would you take it? Is it a good idea? You know, is it a bad idea? Because at the time the vaccine is created, it's the only one available mm-hmm. when it, course, the pandemic was raging. Mm -hmm. I really like books that uh, pose very interesting questions that make you really think. So I think your book sounds exactly like one of those you've put to, and also, but very real to everyone who's reading it, you know, because we've all experienced exactly the same thing, which is pretty, pretty much some variation of the same thing, which I think adds an extra sort of layer to that as well. Very real to everybody, which is very cool. Yeah, I was figuring the time it would take to get the book written and finished and edited and ready and, and published. When I started writing it last late last summer, I thought, well, surely by the time I publish this, COVID will be over and we'll all be ready, you know, to read about what happened during COVID and it'll be relatable and timely, but we won't still be suffering from it. And of course I was completely wrong about <laughs> I don't I take I take ownership of it. I don't take responsibility for it, but I was completely wrong you know, about the timing of when, you know, when COVID would be, uh, would be a bad memory. That kind of relates quite well to the question that I was just going to ask, which was, did you, have you found like so far, I mean, it hasn't been out for too long, but have you found so far that it's tricky to market because of how close it is to like the issues, obviously like COVID's still going on, as you said, and people are kind of wearing a bit thin about it. Do you find it hard to market because of that? Or I think I think it is because again, do you if you had just been in you know a car accident, do you want to read a book about you know car accidents and probably you know probably not. And so I, I meant for it to be somewhat retrospective and introspective. And again, I was I was trying to time it to where it would come out at a time where people were still you know thinking about it because whether the COVID side is ongoing or not, the crazy politics side mm-hmm. is ongoing, the race relations side is is still uh, ongoing. So it is, to answer your question, yeah, it is a little difficult to say, hey, would you like to read a fictional book about, you know, about COVID? It's like, yeah, maybe in two or three years when it's in the rearview mirror. I mean, I guess if I'm still locked down in my house, I, you know, I'll, I might read it. And so many people are still locked, you know, locked down. So it is... Yes, it was. It's been an interesting thing to try to draw attention to and, and market, you know, at a time when so many people are still, you know, bearing the brunt of it. I guess, you know, though, it can go two ways. Um, you know, you either get 
people who work through experiences by sort of swamping themselves in it so then they are almost more open to reading that kind of thing or people who are like you know they get overwhelmed by it and then sort of decide that they leave it for like a couple of years or something so you know it could be could go two ways I was kind of just interested in it because like mine and Ashley's book that's coming out soon we've got some political elements of ours as well which you could almost like compare to to some <laughs> political things that have happened recently so you know like and we'd written this book like ages ago but then it sort of the more things developed last year I was like gosh it's getting closer and closer to our plotline <laughs> I was like I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> um, but so it's just interesting to to see how you know people uh, respond to events that are still quite clearly in sort of the the public eye I guess and see your experience of it too yeah and the political side being the same I mean some you know folks that have read the book have said um, it, it's almost like pulling, ripping the Band-Aid off of a wound that hasn't completely healed yet. You know, <laughs> you ouch memory of, I had forgotten about that terrible political event, and now you just reminded me of it. You know, <laughs> much, or so much, I'll say interesting, maybe say crazy stuff, you know, has happened in not just the American political environment, but in many other places that a, as you read through it, I've had people say, oh, I had forgotten about that. That was awful. And so there is that temporal, mm. you know, issue of, and just having lived through some of the things that happened, you know, in the book, was it, was it maybe too soon to publish it? You know, I, I don't know, but I had the story, I had the story I wanted to tell and, and I wrote it and I uh, put it up on the internet for people to, you know, grab at it. Yeah. I think it's worth just getting it out there. Yeah. And it's always going to be there anyways, right? Like. In hopefully a couple of years when COVID's died down a bit or less in the forefront of our minds, people be like, oh yeah, remember that. And then your book will be there. Yeah, I remember. So. Hey, do you remember that? Do you remember that 18 months that we couldn't eat in a public restaurant? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Going on right now here. I'm still in lockdown. <laughs> Been in lockdown for almost a hundred days. <laughs> wow. So it's fine. She's just going quietly crazy. We're currently um, locked away from the rest of the country. We might get to be, we likely get to be released on the 15th of December. Christmas. At the moment. Christmas gift. Parole date, right? Yeah. Everybody will get paroled at Christmas time. Literally, yeah. They're like, you guys can go. So our gift to the rest of the country will be covered. But, you know, it's fine. Bring it back away from Aucklanders being um, locked away from the rest of the country. How do you manage to juggle your writing life along with your lawyer life and your family life and all of that? Because it's always a bit of a challenge when it's not, you know, when you're not a writer full time. Yeah. So I, um, uh, one is I just don't sleep enough. And so at like 530 in the morning is when I'm usually up. If I'm feeling the writing mood, you know, I'll sit down and write. If I'm not feeling it, I don't write. I don't I don't try to force it. And I know there's some, you know, people out there that will tell you, you know, you have to sit down and write. You have to write every day. You know, if it's a sentence or a paragraph or a page, you have to write every day. I don't do that. I write when I feel like I'm in the mood to write. And it's usually, you know, 5.30, 6 in the morning. If I'm not feeling it at all, I just won't write. If I want to get some writing done, but I'm not feeling 
in the more creative mood, then I'll then I'll do editing because there's always editing to go back to do. And on the more creative feeling days, I'll you know I'll create a character or, or a scene, uh, or a character will create itself somewhere from the back <laughs> of my head as I'm yeah. typing away at the keyboard. And that you know that's that's a pretty interesting and unique experience when you're you know when you're sitting there typing away and this character just pops into your into your head and you're trying to type you know as fast as as you can before it uh, it pops back out of your head. And so sometimes the, you know, the character or the next scene or the next chapter just kind of comes and I'm trying to get it, you know, on the keyboard before I, you know, before the thought dissipates. I find character creation is so random. You know, when you think about it, you're like, oh, I'm creating a, just creating a person out of nothing, or I'm creating a person by melding like 10 people that I know and bits of them together to make this other person. Interesting. I always find it interesting how they're never quite what you expect like if you sit down and plan them and then you try and write them it's like oh no they're not like this actually they're kind of like this instead <laughs> they don't follow what you what you put on the paper and you know with so like with contemporary fiction I'm writing based on things that have actually happened but I'm not writing nonfiction. so I'm not I'm not just chronicling events I'm working from events that happened and from people that caused those events or were affected by those events and then you know maybe taking the best or the worst of them some of my characters you know are pretty thinly veneered from other people and some of them are just completely made out of you know my imagination and part of the fun to me to writing that way is that for people to ask me who's that character based on and I'll say I made her up right so you have that freedom of that person that's, you know, sort of a thin veneer or a meld of two or three or four other people, or just completely creating a character that fits for the, you know, the scene that you're uh, trying to write or the, the dialogue that you're trying to, um, to create. Mm -hmm. I guess that kind of leads into one of our next questions, which is, how do you like to write? Do you have an outline? Like, are you a plotter? Or do you, are you more of a pantser and just kind of sit down and start typing? So I, I have like a general idea. I, I had read and thought that having a general outline was the best way to go. And I completely do not do that. <laughs> I have just a sense of real general broad sense in my head. Here's kind of the story I want to tell. <clears throat> and then it just develops, you know, as I'm writing. Um, one thing that I was kind of bad about when I was writing Colorblinded was keeping a chronology for myself of the events as they were happening. I did have a character list that I would, you know, go down my character list. So I wouldn't have to keep going back, you know, in the book and saying, what was that person's name again? That seems smart and useful. But I did. One thing I thought now that I dinged myself, one thing I'll take credit for was all of the factual stuff that I researched in the book. I have a separate running bibliography, I guess, of every website that I found any of this information or confirmed any of this information from. And I actually thought about, you know, should I publish my, my citations with the book? And I decided not to do that because I wasn't writing, you know, historical nonfiction. I was writing yeah. fiction, but, mm -hmm. but everything that's in there that is factual is sourced in my separate, um, my separate addendum. That makes sense. Also probably very useful as well, because you can always go back to that research now that you've got it all listed down for future books and everything, which would make your life a little bit easier. Right, right. I think so. 
when you're writing kind of with the more broad outline, I assume do you get to a point where you then just, I don't know, see the ending? Does it make any sense? Like, does the ending just come to you or, you know, like halfway, like, I actually know how to end this now. Or do you kind of go, actually, no, I need to end it now. Um, How am I going to end it? How does that process work? So I, I mean, I have a sense of the ending and then I scrap that and then I keep writing and then I think about the ending and then I scrap that. <laughs> and like with um, colorblinded ends and starts in the exact same scene. Okay, um, cool. The opening scene and the ending scene are, are in exact same place and time, a couple minutes you know, apart. And so I ended up writing the book in a kind of a circular time sense so okay. that it, right, it opens with um, a retrospective and then it ends where the, the main characters or that main character ended up at the end of the book having this moral dilemma, asking this, this moral question. And that was probably the fifth way that I thought to, to uh, start and end the book. So, you know, first idea got scrapped, second, you know, et cetera. Because I had, again, I had the overarching story I wanted to tell, but how it was going to unfold, that that did, you know, keep changing. It's very interesting because mostly Sarah and I don't plot our books that way. We've got a more distinct outline. And kind of, so it's interesting to hear how other people come to their endings and things. As you're writing, does it, do you start then changing how you think it's going to end or how you want it? And, or do you like, do you start with the, here's my beginning part and here's how I want it to end and it will just change in the middle or do you actually do not just, well, I'll just scrap that ending and do something different. We're usually pretty, pretty set from the start. And because the way we plan them, we have to have like an outline and chapter plans so that Ashley can write one and then I can write one and you can kind of see where you're chapter will link into the rest of it so we we try to kind of stick to that as much as much as possible when we have like points within every chapter that you've kind of got to get to some way or another but how you get to them is kind of up to up to whoever's writing the chapter and if there's something really big that we're like oh actually this might be quite interesting if we change you know this one thing then we'll talk about that and be like okay let's let's alter that in the plan but you I don't think it happens too often though not Not like the major things and at the moment we're writing a historical fiction so we have the ending is predetermined for us in historical events so it made life a bit easier for this time around so we can't really I guess change that part you can kind of fiddle around with our characters you can change what they what they do within the world but the timeline is like fixed yeah. So there's like certain events that happen and no I matter know. where your character is, <laughs> they're going to happen. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting from that way. So was there any, like when you started writing, was there anything that you found really helpful to develop your creative skills or any classes you might've took or books you might've read? No, I, I mean, I thought back to the writing I had done many years back and I did a little bit of reading on reading on writing and I used to play a fair amount of golf, not well. And I took lessons to try to get better at playing golf. And I had, you know, one instructor and he would say, you know, set up this way and hit the ball that way. And I didn't get any better. And then a couple of years went by and I went to a different instructor and, you know, he had me set up a completely different way and, you know, swing the club a completely different way. 
And I realized there is no one true swing in golf. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think I've come to the same place with writing. You know, there's one, there's no one true way, you know, to write. I think you write the way that it, it fits you, your personality, your style, the demands that you may be under, uh, the time that you have, you know, to write in. The, The thing that I think is constant though, or consistent through any good writing is the willingness to edit. Yeah. And edit and then re write it and then edit it, you know, some more because it's, it's easy to fall in love with the word you just put on the page. And then when you read it tomorrow, you go, yeah, that that's really not as good as I thought it was yesterday. And I think you have to be willing to, you know, take the ego bash from yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really wasn't, I wasn't as brilliant at six o'clock yesterday morning, you know, as I thought it was, as I thought I was. And you know, always try to make it, you know, always try to make it better. I always focus with writing, whatever kind of writing it is, you know, the the less exciting, you know, job related writing or the creative side fiction writing and always try to make it shorter, mm-hmm. you know, try to get this shorter, try to get the paragraph, you know, shorter, express the idea in as few words, you know, as you can, because if somebody is, you know, 27 words into a sentence, you've probably lost it. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's a technical grant application, you have to explain, you know, chloroform and its effect on protozoa or whatever it might be, you know, 27, 35 word sentences, they're just hard to stay in. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to get the thought to the reader that you want planted in the reader's head. So, you know, I, I think so much of the writing is in the editing and the rewriting and just not falling in love with your own work product. And I would add to that, it's so easy to <laughs> accidentally create those really crazy long sen- sentences in your first draft when you're like, you know, you get halfway through a sentence and you're like, oh, and then I'll write this down as well. And then you forget that actually the sentence like started way back there. And then when you read it over in the edits, you're like, holy crap, that's a long sentence. <laughs> right. And, you know, so sometimes, you know, sometimes you might cheat and say, well, I'll just put a semicolon in there and <laughs> yeah. spice it up a little bit. Spice it up a little bit. Let me put in a semicolon. Or if I'm feeling particularly, you know, wild, I'll put in a full colon stop. And <laughs> my favorite oh, is the M dash. Oh, I love M dashes. <laughs> or that dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you know, turn the page, but yeah. You know, if, if a sentence expresses so many thoughts and is long enough for a semicolon or a, or a colon, it's probably two sentences. <laughs> probably, <laughs> yes. Or three. And you do have to be careful how much you use the semicolons we discovered as we went back and revisited our first work. We realized that we had become quite fond of semicolons and they were dotted all over the place. <laughs> they were like, oh. <laughs> go back and delete them all again yeah right. so you know they lose their effect if you use them too much so I think that's like what you say about editing is definitely true the more willing you are to go back and edit the better your work becomes with every revision I think so and I think I'm going to do a word count on the next book I'm working on I think I'm going to go back and count before I finish it how many times I used the word was <laughs> that's- Right. That's one of those conventions, you know, try to use was, you know, don't use past tense, you know, verbs in your sentence structure. Try to make the sentence, you know, positive from the beginning to the end of the sentence, not, you know, negative with 
I'm never going to be able to write a whole book without the word was in it, but you know, if I can eliminate, yeah. you know, the the extra ones. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I'll just put them between the semicolon and a dash. <laughs> For us, it's the word that we all can yeah. have extra that's. <laughs> yeah. That are really not. And mine's just always just, but I'm so, I'm so much better at it now. I'll write it and then I'll delete it. And I'm like, okay, just not get rid of it. Even in emails. now, I don't think I use it pretty much at all sometimes in Facebook messages if I can't be bothered deleting it but I've gotten quite aware of it but now I've started pointing it out in other people's like my writing critique group was like you've used the word just you can delete it there's the word just again you can delete it and they'll stop you just see it everywhere now do the two of you ever disagree about whether it should be that or which do you have that conversation to it shouldn't be that not really sometimes I mean just like when we're them. reviewing we just change it and most of the time you know if if it's if it's obvious sometimes I'll notice something that actually has changed but if it's something like that or which I probably wouldn't notice to be honest when I read it back through so we just you know like keep keep changing it and then if yeah if we found I don't know some sentence that I really liked that Ashley deleted I'd be like oh that sentence is gone and I was like well clearly I didn't say that in the right way but then I also may not necessarily like the way that she's put it so then I'm like okay well, we need to rework this and eventually you get like a negotiated version. <laughs> so that's kind of how, how we do it. Yeah. And it, I mean, it really helps having someone else reading, you know, reading your work, you know, having an outside, whether, I mean, with your collaboration, it's great because you both know what you're trying to write and you're looking at each other's writing. And I think most of us are more objective about other people's writing than we probably are about our own so you have sort of that built-in you know feedback dynamic and you know for me I'll ask some other people you know hey you know would you would you read this and you know give me your honest feedback and it just it adds another dimension and you know perspective because if I just want to write for me I'll just you know sit in a hovel and write for me and and that'll be it but I'm not just writing for me so I want other people to look at my work and give me constructive you know critical feedback so that I can make it better yeah. and make it more readable and make the story more understandable or relatable or interesting definitely definitely yeah. it's always the goal I have a writing critique group that I'm a part of and we made this group together we're all writing novels and that are works in progress and we have started from like chapter one of everyone's and like every two weeks we share like the next chapter like so it's like still in like the first draft stage and that's been really helpful because they pull up a lot of stuff and like we're still writing the book so we're able to take a lot of the feedback on board like while we're writing rather than you know having done so many edits and then having to go back and change tons of stuff because you find the stuff out too late so that's been very interesting and very helpful good gauge at like where your book's at came on the right track or no not on the right track <laughs> it is a bit nerve-wracking to expose your first drafts but I think it's very helpful if you can it's super helpful I was going to ask you a little bit about how you found actually publishing colorblinded like how did that go for you did you immediately settle on I assume you self-published it I'm not actually entirely okay. sure you did okay <laughs> Did. Um, did you immediately settle on that or did you know what was your sort of process and how did you find publishing it so again from my timing standpoint where I was trying to time the book you know for COVID is over hooray let's you know now somebody will read about what happened I didn't want to go through the maybe it was just you know my frail ego I didn't want to go through 
you know, 27 rejection letters from, you know, unsolicited queries to publishing houses and, you know, spend another six or nine months waiting to get the book out and tell the story. So I, I decided I would self-publish it pretty early on. Yeah. And then I researched, you know, different publishing houses to publish it, self-publishing houses to publish it through. And I went with Ingram Spark. Their, their upload process seemed to be a little easier and their book gets out into a lot more uh, distribution networks. You know, a- Amazon is Amazon. It owns, you know, it owns pretty much everything in the galaxy. But I think if you self-publish to Amazon, that's your only distribution outlet. And so I went with Ingram Spark because they also get, you know, into onto Barnes and Noble and Apple Books and some other places that, you know, I thought since these books are going to be wildly flying off the shelves, I. I would need as many distribution points as I could to keep up with the demand. And that didn't quite work out, but. Um, There's always the hope, right? <laughs> it's always the hope, but the upload side was, you know, fairly easy. So it's, you know, it's on Amazon and a bunch of other places. And, and again, I, I controlled the timing pretty much of when the book, you know, when the book got out. So I'm curious. So with Ingram, like you can choose to not go through Amazon and Apple and then do those ones separately yourself as well as kind of Ingram. But did you choose to go only through Ingram or? So Ingram does distribute through Amazon and Apple. So it's, it's like the one stop shopping for, for then, you know, for then distribution. So even though my book is self-published through Ingram, it immediately goes to Amazon and it goes to Apple and it goes to Barnes and Noble because that's their part of their worldwide distribution network. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, I think if you publish through Amazon, you're only on Amazon. I it's think. you can you can do either be exclusive with Amazon, um, which means like you're under the Kindle. I can't remember what they call it, the Kindle program where people can get your book for free and then you're paid on like your basically how many people read your book and how many minutes they spend kind of thing. Um, mm. Or you can do it without that option. The exclu- you can do it without the exclusive option, but it just means that like people would have to like pay for your ebook and it's not available under the Kindle. Yeah. Kind limited, of, yeah Kindle, Kindle limited. Yeah. Sorry. Like struggling to speak today for some reason. <laughs> No, no worries. It's usually yeah. me. They also did a pretty nice job publishing it. So when the book, I know this is on, nobody is seeing this when they hear the podcast. No, I haven't seen it in person because Sarah has the copy. So it actually printed really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, the cover art came out pretty nicely. And when I did the second edition, I I listed the, I had the synopsis and then the, um, some of the early reviews that I'd gotten, I put on the back. That's so, really cool. Yeah, it looks really snazzy. I won't put my coffee down on it. <laughs> I'd be the same. I'd be like, oh. I was like, got the proof copy this week for our book. And I was like, well, this is going to be the one that I'll like read over and over again. And then I'll buy like a nice actual one. You'll <laughs> be like, Never touch it again. to touch. <laughs> well, I have to give my, my younger daughter a shout out because she helped with the cover art and the design of the book. And we spent... 45 minutes to an hour actually designing the cover without fighting once. Oh, good work. Yeah. 
So I found that to be uh, very, very nice. So uh, now she helped a lot with that, with that cover art. When I saw that picture and made sure that it was uh, royalty free, I thought, I thought that's the cover of my book before I was even a third of the way through writing the book. That's, that's really cool. cool. Yeah. We had the opposite experience with our book cover. <laughs> we did not have a, I guess, a, kind of had some very vague ideas. And then we were mm. like, cover designer can do it. <laughs> we were mainly on the same page, but we just decided after a while, we're like, this isn't going to. No. <laughs> Let's just leave it up to the professionals. <laughs> it's not our thing. Oh, dear. So... I'm curious as to like, so I guess with this type of work that you've done and when obviously when you sat down to create something, you weren't quite, you didn't quite know that you were going to be writing about COVID as we kind of discussed earlier, but you must've felt quite passionate about that. Do you tend to like write mainly about like topical things that you're passionate about or how do you get your inspiration? Yeah. I mean, the, the what's the saying write what you know so i figured well let me write about things that i have a general working understanding of and let me research the things that i think i know but but you know i'm happy to admit that i don't um, and so i tried to keep it to things that i thought i had a pretty good understanding of knowing that i had all kinds of research that i would probably have to do for things that i didn't like there's a I'll call it dense section in the book about the history and development of vaccines, which, you know, before I started writing colorblind that I was not a walking encyclopedia of the difference between, you know, MNRA vaccines and other types. Yeah. I probably never will be, but I, I felt the need to understand it well enough to then communicate it through the book because that factual part of the book was important to set up the fictional vaccine um, that I then created. I think it's a fictional vaccine. I don't know for sure that it doesn't exist in a lab somewhere. Maybe, it's, uh, you know, I imagined the vaccine, but I, I steeped myself in at least enough of an understanding of the real science to then um, make the, the imagined vaccine um, mm-hmm. seem like a possibility to the reader. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, because without that buying, the whole story craters, and then I really can't tell the full story that I wanted, that I wanted to tell because I would lose I would lose the reader, but there's a, there's a chunky, there's some chunky sections in there on the, on the science side. And I had people whispering in my ear, you know, cut out some of the science, cut out some of the science. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, but if I, you know, if I do that, then I don't get enough buy-in, you know, for the imagined vaccine. So that's where I ended out. I'll let the critics tell me if it was done well or not. (laughs) Well, it's always a challenge, I think, to weave in the I guess you'd call it like the exposition kind of to to make it so that the reader has enough knowledge by the time they get to like a certain point in the book that it it feels real and it feels authentic right and it's a challenge to know like how much to do and where to do it along the way right right because if you know if it was there were six pages in the middle that were taken from a you know a PhD dissertation you know, on, you know, macrobiocular, you know, something or other, and people would just go move on to the next book. I'm done. (laughs) Too hard. Now I have something to put my coffee or tea down on. So (laughs) yeah, the goal of the goal of every author that your book doesn't become a coaster and nothing else. (laughs) That's right. right. You don't want your dust jacket to literally be a dust jacket. That's all it does. (laughs) 
there's coffee table books and then there's coffee table books. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still, I've asked, uh, I've reached out to um, uh, an actual scientist, an immunologist who's fairly well regarded to see if she would read the book for me and just give me a critique um, on, you know, how close and realistic it is. But I don't think anybody's going to want to do that until COVID's in the rearview mirror. Because if you're on the front lines of fighting, you know, the pandemic, I don't think this is something you want to read for, you know, for reading. So I think I'll just have to wait on that. I was going to ask you a little bit about what you found most uh, challenging um, throughout this whole process, whether sounds like you came up with the story fairly quickly. So maybe more like was the biggest challenges to do with publishing or I don't know, just generally, what were your challenges with this project i mean part of it was was again that ripping the band-aid off of an unhealed wound because i was writing in real time i mean i was writing about i mean there's there's some you know create the universe i think that that's what it's called where you sort of build the universe that your book is then based on and so all of that was historical but most of it i was writing in real time and i was writing about things that people were having really visceral reactions to at the time. And I was trying to figure out, you know, since I'm trying to get away from all of that stuff while simultaneously writing about, <laughs> right. How do I, how do I get myself to sit down and write about something that just happened, you know, last week, because it fits into the story I was trying to tell. And again, I just convinced myself, well, when this book is finished and published and out, it will be timely enough that people will remember what happened but not so close in time that it will, you know, reopen the the unhealed wound. So the the timing, you know, was a bit of a uh, a bit of a challenge. Whether I successfully met the timing challenge or not, that's for others to judge. I'm going to have the same problem with my next book that um, I did want to tell you all about. But um, oh no, was, that's probably one of our next questions. But just before we go on to that, um, I just had one more question to round up sort of this little section which was sort of related to what you just said is did you find it difficult yourself to like convince yourself to sit down or like did you find that you felt overwhelmed at any point and and that it was difficult for you to to write or was it more I guess in some ways it maybe it was kind of cathartic in some ways or how did you find the experience yeah, no, that's a great question because it was it was a little bit cathartic and I had control over how it ultimately was going to turn out, right? So I could I could determine the destiny now of the events that were actually happening in real time by fictionalizing them and controlling the outcome um, of how those things would ultimately turn out later. Mm-hmm. So it was it was cathartic in that sense of I was going through and typing out about things that were actually happening that were troublesome, knowing that I would have control over, you know, did the bad people get punished for the bad things? You know, would we have a safe and effective vaccine? I mean, I can't control that, but I could fictionalize an outcome, you know, where that where that would happen. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I was, do you have anything planned for the future? And would you like to tell us a little bit about it? You don't have to obviously spoil it or give too much away, but just curious what's coming out next. Yeah. So I, um, as I was finishing Colorblinded, I started thinking about, since I really enjoyed doing this, I was going to want to write some more. And did I want to write a different book or did I want to write a sequel? And 
there was so much material to work from that I couldn't put all in one book. <clears throat> I decided to end the book where I ended it with the story told that I wanted to tell, with the moral questions asked that I wanted to ask. And I made the decision not to answer those questions. And I've had a couple people tell me, I really liked your book, except you didn't answer the question. You, you posed this, you know, <laughs> big, awesome moral question to us and you didn't answer it. And they say, what's the answer? And I said, the answer is your answer. It's how you feel about it. That's, I want you to think about it. And I want you to think what to you is a right and proper, you know, result. And then I figured, well, now I'm going to write a sequel that starts with what I think is the right and proper result and then play that out through other things that I want to write about, like, you know, the political environment and the use of power and the corruption of power. And so that's where my sequel is headed. And, you know, again, I'm writing in real time. And so here, here in the U.S., um, you all may have heard we had this sort of crazy presidential election <laughs> yeah. end of last year and an actual insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building on January the 6th. And so that was a significant enough event to me and to millions and millions and millions of people that I'm going to write about that as well. And again, sort of fictionalize it. I, I don't know whether my my current book is going to end with the insurrection. That was kind of the plan this past summer as I was writing the sequel, or it may end up being the second book of a trilogy. I'm not, I'm not okay. entirely sure, right? But mm -hmm. uh, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to deal with COVID much in the sequel. I don't deal with COVID much in the sequel. I do answer the, you know, <clears throat> the what happens in the U.S. with this vaccine question as far as what fictionally actually happens. I'm not sure if that's a proper sentence structure. What <laughs> I know what you mean. Like, so, you know, you're following along the storyline from your last book and not, you know, in, in terms of what happened with COVID and then not what's actually happened because at the time when you were following that, you know, you're having diverging paths with this fictional story, I guess, in some ways. Right, right, right. And so this one then focuses more on political power and corruption of political power and sort of more goes, you know, inside of, you know, grand juries and criminal prosecutions and all kinds of interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah. And again, I, I don't know yet. The ending hasn't written itself for me, but I may end with the insurrection or I may not. And I do want to write about that, but I'll write about it. If not in this book, then I, I think I'm in the second book of a three book trilogy. Um, I know how you feel. Yeah, we're, like, we're I've... kind of like that with our the ending for us. We're like, can we fit into one more book? I'm not sure. It might be four, might be five, the series. <laughs> not sure yet. <laughs> Something. I was going to yeah. comment though. I was like, a lot happened in 2020 and 2021. So you've got a lot of material to inspire your work with. <laughs> which is good seems like it's a never-ending saga at the moment of you know politics and COVID and just everything yeah from a writer's standpoint it is the crazy reality we actually live in is kind of the gift that keeps on giving yeah, pretty much so but yeah. you know I, I get to I get to write the ultimate happy ending you know where all the bad guys suffer and all the good people prevail um, and maybe that's how the third book if if this turns out to be three you know ultimately will end. I mean, I do want to, you know, 
I want a happy ending at some point. I'm just kind of waiting for that happy ending to emerge <laughs> so I can then write it. You know, it won't be a Hollywood Disney fairy tale ending. I don't, yeah. I don't think. You know, I do ultimately want people to leave with. I don't want people to you know read my books and be depressed that they read my books. And <laughs> I do want silver, you know, silver linings and you know rainbows after the storm and light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I think we're all hoping for that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, right now, I think Ashley just wants to be able to leave her house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's the small Eventually, thing. leave the city would be good. That would be nice. Going a bit mad. It's okay, though. Yeah. At least we're allowed to go to the beach and stuff now. But we weren't allowed before, but we are now. So that's good. And last week, we were allowed to go into stores for the first time in three months. That wow. was exciting. Wow. I got to go and buy seeds from my garden. <laughs> it's the <laughs> first thing <laughs> you want to buy seeds. Permission to plant them, or can... <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it's on my property, so I'm allowed to be on my property. So I'm allowed okay. to plant my seeds. Yeah, I I cannot imagine um, how a lockdown would go over in any part of the United States. I mean. People here use that terminology because I don't think they fully understood what a lockdown really means. <laughs> right. They're like, you know, we're locked down. Our, you know, we can't get into our gym or our favorite bar. Like, no, I don't think that's exactly what. <laughs> gyms have not been. I don't even know when. If, at the moment, it feels like gyms will never open, but I'm sure they will eventually. New Zealand's is intense. It's like. Weren't you like not even really allowed out of your we house for periods? Yeah, of we time. weren't yeah. allowed to go any further than we could walk. So we're kind of limited to less than five kilometers from our house, and everything was closed except supermarkets and pharmacies. You had to have like a dedicated person to go to. Yeah, and one person per household was allowed to go out, <laughs> and you were allowed like one thing of exercise or something. Anyways, it was a lot. But it's a bit more relaxed now, except for, yeah, the being locked in Auckland and the no, well, no bars, no restaurants, no gyms, no pools, no hairdressers. It has been months. People are going crazy. <laughs> we haven't been able to go to a hairdresser since August. Oh, dear. That's what baseball hats are for. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, we're going to be let out of Auckland and it's going to be a whole bunch of like wild people who leave. And they're like, what's happened to the Aucklanders? got to spot them from up from miles off yeah you're like there in Aucklander anyways before we round up I just wanted to um ask you whether there's anything that you wanted to to talk about that we haven't covered yet no I think I think we've pretty much pretty much covered things I mean I I do want when people have read the book I do I really do want people to you know email me or send me a message on Instagram about what they thought about it, how they felt about it. You know, did they like the ending, not like the ending? I do want to get, you know, critical feedback on the book so that if there are things that hit, you know, landed poorly or things that people really liked, then I can factor that in as I'm, you know, finishing up, you know, the next book or if there is a next, next book, you know, working, you know, working on those. I am on, uh, Instagram is this the pitch part? I am on Instagram. Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> that the subtle at KS Gray author, and um, 
Yeah, and the you know colorblinded is available on you know you type the word colorblinded book and you go through you know a coloring book from the office and uh, you know Ray Ban um, you know sunglasses and all kinds of other stuff to ultimately you know get to uh, get to my book and hopefully people will read it and enjoy it and um, you know again tell me things that they like or or don't like about it. Yeah, and so it's available in both paperback and ebook on Amazon and obviously a lot of ebook on a lot of other platforms like Kobo, Apple. Kobo, Apple iBooks and um, yeah, pretty much any, I think pretty much any place you can buy a book on any available public format, it's um, it's out there. Awesome. Well, Excellent. Thank you so much for coming um, on board to chat to us today. It's been a great time and enjoyed you know like speaking about your book and speaking about your writing process that's been really fun I think Ashley enjoyed <laughs> letting loose some of her lockdown frustrations <laughs> apologize no 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 need no need at all it's been you know a crazy interesting frustrating time you know for everybody and so it's totally understandable I enjoyed it I appreciate you all letting me you know, come on and talk about my book and process. And uh, I wish you both well. And maybe I was going to say maybe a year from now, we should get back together and talk about, you know, that old COVID thing that's now complete. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. We've talked about before having uh, a couple episodes where we revisit with all the authors we've had on our section just to see what they're up to, where they're at with their books and whatnot. So Hopefully you'd be okay with that sometime in the future. No, that'd be great. And you can say, hey, do you remember when you were on last year and you said COVID would be over soon? And <laughs> Lies. <laughs> yeah. Ashley still in lockdown a year later. I've been haircut in two and a half years. When is this going to be over? <laughs> Thank you both. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again for doing this and for letting me come on. Thank you. So what have we got next time on Dear Writer, Ashley? Well, next week, it's another one of our Talking Shop episodes where we have a bit of a chat about the books that we're reading for fun and some of the resources that we've used to help better um, our writing craft. And if you'd like to know more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Lindison Creations. Okay, and I just wanted to mention as well that if you would like to be on an author spotlight episode, then you can go to lindersoncreations.com and... In the main menu under podcast, you'll find that there's a drop down where you can find the link to be featured on Dear Writer. If you enjoy the show, then please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts um, or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. And we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. <laughs>